0: Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. Thank you for joining us this week. You're going to be thrilled that you did. Jasmine's guest is one of our most favorite people ever, and not just because he makes us laugh, which is a really, really major attribute these days. But we're so excited, and we're kind of impressed with ourselves that that comedian Mike Kaplan is once again joining Jasmine for a long, heartfelt, and kind of hilarious interview.
1: I really do adore Mike. He was the guest on my two recent fabulous vegan virtual parties and he was everyone's favorite part. And then I was on his podcast recently, broccoli and ice cream, vegan ice cream, obviously. And I was just prepared for your run of the mill interview. And then he kind of Blew up my life in the process, like in a good way, in a way I needed. So we'll talk about that on the interview, and we'll talk about it even more on the flock bonus segment, where I will be continuing my conversation with Mike. As always, if you're a flock member, you will get a link to the bonus segment in your email on the Tuesday after this podcast episode goes up, or you can always find it in the flock Facebook group. If you're not a member of the flock and you can afford it, you can join for $10 a month at slash donate.
0: And if you are a Flock member, don't forget to join us for our Flock Friday Zoom calls at 4 p.m. Eastern, that's 9 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. And we focus on how to be better activists, but we also really focus on how to take care of ourselves in what are still tough times. I mean, I think sometimes that even though things are easing, things are still really scary and it's even harder to know what to do these days, so... I don't think we can say we're out of the tough times by any means whatsoever.
1: Times are definitely changing. And that has been sort of uh, elevated in, in in both of our lives recently, because after a year of just doing curbside grocery pickup, we went into a grocery store. And I think we both were like a little bit, uh, you know, pummeled by the experience.
0: I'm not sure Pumpled is exactly there. I was overwhelmed by the experience. As I said to somebody, if only they'd been serving cocktails, <laughs> maybe I could have managed it. But I also want to preface this, and I know you do as well, that we do recognize that we are once again in a position of being incredibly, bizarrely, truly privileged to be among the tiny minority of people in this on this planet. Who have gotten a vaccine? Anything we say that's complaining, you should ignore and just hate us for because we, but we do recognize that everybody else is still living in so much fear. I wouldn't say I have no fear, but I think most of my fear is, is not terribly well-founded. But it's hard to get rid of fear. It's hard to walk into that grocery store and not feel like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm in danger. Um, but I did go in. I got some broccoli and I got some bananas and then I left. <laughs> well, I did pay for them, but then I left. That was enough, that was enough.
1: <laughs> well, I noticed something when I went in, which is that like, you know, in the past year, a couple of years, few years, as veganism has risen in popularity by 600%, 600% more people identify as vegan than in 2014. You see these little articles here and there about such and such offers vegan this and that now. And, you know, it's always exciting. And Veg News, obviously, is like at the leader, uh, uh, is, is a leader of reporting on stories like, like that. But when I was in the grocery store the other day, maybe it's because I haven't been in in so long, I, I noticed I've never seen more vegan options. Like I, for example, I was in the mac and cheese section, you know, just your general run of the mill mac and cheese section of the grocery store. And you me like the
0: boxes of mac and cheese. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I saw like Daya. And then I saw that Annie's now has like several vegan mac and cheese options. And Ooh. there were a few others, there were a few others as well. And, you know, like this sort of, boggled my mind because when I first went vegan, you know, we you had to order it from vegan essentials <laughs> or, or, you know, another one of those stores that you basically got all of your specialty stuff at and the, and the options tasted terrible. So now it's just, it's everywhere. And I know it sounds cliche to say that, oh, there's vegan food everywhere, but it really was everywhere. And I was talking to my buddy, Robbie Lockie, who was on our headhouse not that long ago. He runs plant-based news. And he was saying that in the UK where he is, there's a vegan aisle in every grocery store, like specifically labeled vegan. Which That's crazy. I, yeah. I think it's really cool. I, I actually, I see the value of that and it did surprise me in a great way. But I also love the fact that the vegan mac and cheese was hanging out with the oppressive mac and cheese, you know, like because I'm not sure that non-vegans would go in the vegan aisle. They think, oh, that's for them, right?
0: No, I, I totally agree. It would be, I mean, I can understand why why supermarkets would do it. And I'm not sure there's any way we could talk them out of it because it's probably better for marketing. Because, you know, they don't care if, if the non-vegans buy the vegan thing instead. <laughs> they just want to sell mac and cheese of any variety. And they don't want anybody to, to claim they got confused or anything like that. And they want the vegans to find it really easy to find their products and not have to bother them or think they don't have them. So I understand why they do it. But Beyond Meat took off because they got managed to get themselves in the meat area. With things that have to be refrigerated, it's, it's easier to get them... Combined because mm. you know, like the mil- vegan milks have always been in, in the dairy area because they're dairy and because they're not going to build a whole other milk section <laughs> for them. Uh, that's refrigerated it's not going to be perfect but it's pretty damn exciting and it is it does make life a lot easier for the vegans I suppose Uh, all I did was go and get broccoli and bananas and that's always been vegan so it didn't really and then I had to leave so (laughs) I didn't have these great oh it's way more vegan than it used to be experiences that you did maybe next time maybe next time
1: did you see that Dunkin' Donuts has all these vegan donuts now at Dunkin' Donuts locations, I think in the
0: Netherlands, if I'm not mistaken? I saw that tweet and, and I was shocked. Shocked. What Do they hate us? They love the Dutch. They're like <laughs> prejudiced against us in America. They're anti-American.
1: Well, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily blame someone for being anti-American right now.
0: Not to punish us by not giving us vegan donuts. I, that means it'll come our way, though. And then, we'll, and then we'll have vegan Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, always looking at the bright side. That's you.
1: So we also did venture out to a town near here in the Catskills, a town called Athens, not Athens,
0: but Athens. So Some people call it Athens and some people call it Athens. It's a whole thing. We won't get into it.
1: And we thought we would walk around that neighborhood, you know, little cute little uh, hamlet or what, or small city, whatever you want to call it, large town with a downtown. And we looked on Happy Cow and there was nothing on it. So we just walked around instead. And right across the street from each other, there were these restaurants that had vegan options, which made me think. Not only have we far exceeded my previous understanding of the vegan items in grocery stores, but now you don't have to rely on. I mean, Happy Cow is my favorite app and it always will be. And I should populate it with these vegan items. But there are so many restaurants that go so far outside the scope of Happy Cow that, like, you can just sort of be normal and walk around
0: and look at a menu. As a person who loves Happy Cow as well and who's frequently in a place and not doesn't know where to go, yes, you have to populate it. Have you put that, that place in yet? Not yet, but I that will. we went to, which I can't remember the, the name of.
1: No, it was called The Rooster. It was called The Rooster in, in Nathan. I'm
0: old and I should not be expected to do that sort of thing. <laughs> That's for oh, youngsters to populate Happy Cow. Yeah, young people have to fix the world. To help the older out. I see now, that they've been vaccinated and they can go to restaurants, yes, like Every, but on a on a more serious note, happy cow is the best thing that ever happened to vegans, and I don't populate it all the time when I find something, even though I'm so grateful to whatever restaurant it is, and I'm so grateful to happy cow and so yeah, vow made i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna do it, though you should do this one,
1: all right, I'll do it. Well, anyway, I think we should get to the interview with Mike and he is, you know, like just uh, follow him. That's all I have to say. Follow, follow this conversation, follow him on social, follow his train of thought. It'll take you to lots of interesting little corners of your mind.
0: Well, I have a a lot more to say than that because I'm going to introduce him and there's a lot to do when you introduce Mike. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's Mike with a YQ in case you, you, you are not an aficionado yet. And he's a comedian and he's been seen on The Tonight Show, Conan, The Late Show with David Letterman, The Late Night with Seth Meyers in his own half hour Comedy Central Presents special and in his own one hour special on Amazon, Small, Dork and Handsome. He has been a finalist on Last Comic Standing. He recently appeared on America's Got Talent. His album, Vegan Mind Meld, was one of iTunes' top 10 comedy albums of the year. His newest album, AKA, debuted at number one. The New York Times called it, quote, invigoratingly funny and included it among its five, quote, coronavirus best new comedy specials to remind you of the old normal. And now he's on our hen house, <laughs> the, the pinnacle of of this career Mm -hmm. and we're so incredibly excited to have him visit us i love this interview he'll be joining jasmine right after this
1: change the world for them. So thank you so much in advance for leaving us a friendly review. Welcome back to our henhouse, House, Mike.
2: Thank you so much. I'm happy to return.
1: Yeah, it's been a while.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't even remember. It's, it's weird getting older. It used to be, you know, I mean, I know it's, it's also normal getting older, but, you know, because that's what everyone's doing. And, and it's what I've always been doing. I've always been getting older, but... <laughs> you know, like when, when you're a kid, you're like, when did things happen? It was like yesterday, the only day that happened. And then, you know, as an adult, you're like, oh, that was either that was high school or college. And then, but then, you know, then there's a whole decade of the twenties and uh, the thirties. And I'm like, oh, like where it's weird that now I have friends who I've known for, you know, 30 years, 20 years, like long, you know, larger than my life used to be. So it, it now feels like I've always known you, but I, I'm sure that that, you know, and in some ways that's probably true, but in other ways, uh, it seems like it has been a long time since uh, since I've been here and I'm happy to be back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. This was a really fun conversation and we'll talk to you soon.
2: Absolutely. I'll see you again in 20 years.
1: <laughs> I don't know exactly when it was, but you were on our Hen House well, you were definitely the first guest we had on the TV show version, which we then ran as audio. So I feel like that was around 2014 or so. So that might've been the last time you were on. Mm. And you were very generous because you showed up at our studio in Brooklyn and we didn't have any idea what we were doing. And you just were so kind and like just went with the whole thing. So I've always been really grateful for you for that.
2: Oh, well, thank you. I, and also, I it's... That's just one of my my secret life hacks is to be nice to people and then eventually, I mean, either it, it pays off right in the moment because it feels good to be nice to people and then also later, like, I mean, in this past year, uh, you've invited me to be uh, a part of events for mm-hmm. this, you know, community that you have built and facilitated and there's been, you know, like... Thousands of people on these Zoom calls that are just like, you know, more vegan than my audiences usually are. So it's just like, you know, I feel, I'm trying to think about the an analogy to like as a as a comedian. I was thinking about like working without a net, but it's like working like with like it's like with a trampoline. You know what I mean? It's like uh, there's no way to anywhere which way I I could fall. I just like bounce higher. I mean, just such a a warm, compassionate, hospitable environment, all because I was nice to you in 2014. You know, I I didn't have to do anything to uh, build, you know, to this community specifically. I'm like, you, you're just like, we're like, we don't know what we're doing. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Nobody really knows what they're doing initially ever, same included. And then now, you know, uh, six, seven years later, you're like, now, would you like to do something now that we know exactly what we're doing? I'm like, I like doing it before.
1: <laughs> that's funny. Well, I will definitely make sure. In fact, there is something that I have no idea what I'm doing that we'll talk about in a moment that you inspired me about. Mm-hmm. But more on that in a second. I know it's early for you. It's like 1115am. <laughs> I know that's you're your bright and early because you wanted to do this interview later than we usually do it with guests, which I thought was kind of funny because, of course, that's the case for comedians. Like, why would I even think that you would do a 9 a.m. interview with me? But do you feel like some kind of pressure when you get onto interviews to just, I don't know, be funny? Or even conversations, like, with other friends? Like, hey, this is Mike. He's a comedian. Like, do you feel like, oh, shit, now I have to be... What if you're having a bad day?
2: I think that that question is really funny. In this way, I mean, and it might be, like here's the thing, I can't answer for any other comedian, uh, so I'm glad that you asked me, the only person that I can answer for, but it might be that there are people who do feel that pressure also, like a performance is different than a conversation with a friend. And a performance is also different than a podcast. You know, like it it might be, you know, like if you meet a doctor at a party, I want to imagine asking a doctor, be like, are you always nervous that you're going to have to save my life? You know, are you always nervous? Like that? What if people are like, quick, look at this zit, you know, like, please help me. You know, I feel like doctors probably, I mean, and they do sometimes get those questions at parties, but like, that's, they're not there to do their job and i know it is also a uh, a difference in that being i enjoy like having fun with friends i don't mean to be controversial i don't mean to you know like <laughs> blow anyone's mind or anything but like i, I and sincerely there are some comedians who off stage are quiet, are super introverted, are like not interested in being like the life of a party or the center of a conversation. They're like, they, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but they might be like, that's like my art, that's my performance, that's that aspect of my life. And I keep it compartmentalized from, you know, like my quiet home life with my rabbit or whatever, you know. And I feel like there is a, like comedy is one of the, one of the, I mean, I feel like every art form, uh, every performance type, you know, I feel like people are more familiar with music, dance, acting, Mm -hmm. like, not to say that everyone does those things, but I think, for most of my life. Like, I didn't know about stand-up comedy for most of my life. I didn't attend many... I saw so many more movies as a kid than I did stand-up comedy shows. I listened to mm-hmm. so much more music that I did... So people have a familiarity with at least consuming these other things. And there are so many things that are, like, comedy-adjacent as well. Like, you know, I grew up watching Saturday Night Live. That's not stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, sketch writing is different than doing stand-up. Improv comedy is different. Different Mm -hmm. than doing stand up. There are some similarities, but the idea of like what a comedian is. So people get like a a shape in their mind of like what it must be like to be a comedian, you know? Mm -hmm. And some of it might be right, some of it might be accurate. I personally, I have been on radio shows where I am, you know, like I'm there to perhaps like promote the shows that I'm doing uh, Mm -hmm. that weekend in that town. And sometimes, they, there's like preparation in advance where they're like, we'd like for you to do some of your bits and we'll set you up for some of your bits. And that, that can be fine. And I prefer, if it's up to me, I'm just like, I'm happy to just have a conversation and like probably some funny things will arise. Like that reminds me of a very mm-hmm. funny thing that I thought, you know? And like, like right now, I haven't prepared any of this specific answer, but I've said some very funny <laughs> things or at least I've made a very funny voice choice right now. And I'm like, isn't that fun? A voice choice to even call it a voice choice. I never, (laughs) you know, and so I, I feel like there is a way that I can tap into that when I want to. And also, I mean, it's, here's a funny thing is you're, it seems to me that you've asked me a serious question about comedy. <laughs> and so honestly, like, number one, it's funny, but but it's also like meaningful because I can discuss comedy, what I do sincerely. I can also have fun at the same time as being sincere. So there's these two pathways. Like, if you're like, mm-hmm. do you feel pressure uh to do comedy uh or to be funny or to be on or whatever it is when you you're, you know, in a situation like this. I could have simply said, no. But uh, <laughs> I also could have said, I'm like, I, I'll, I'll more than just tell you, I'll show you that I am happy to have, like, I feel like the, the the core of what I'm getting to is like in, in a conversation like this, on a podcast, in an interview, it's bonus for there to be jokes, for me. That's the way that I conceive of it. Like if you asked me this question and I answered sincerely, I don't imagine that there are people being like, hey, why wasn't that answer funny? It was like, oh, because <laughs> this one's not a comedy show. This is That was just a sincere, hey, why isn't this funny? <laughs> I'm like, well, right. isn't it funny now that I'm imagining that person asking why isn't this, okay, you got me, you know, and this isn't even like the way that, like, there's no one way that I'm funny, but I'm not normally, like, my, my act isn't full of just imagining people's voices like, maybe it should be Star no, you know, and. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to like, you know, head that's perhaps heading into Jim Gaffigan territory where he says things and then imagines an audience reacting to it. And so just want to cite my sources there, you know, standing on the shoulders of various giants. I mean, he's not the only, he's not the only one who can imagine what an audience might say. And I'm not worried about his uh, team of lawyers coming after me. But the point is I am like, for lack of a better, for a simplicity's sake, you know, I'm an extrovert, I do thrive on this kind of, like, you know, uh, friendly, inspiring, you know, Mm -hmm. like, warm, welcoming environments where people, you know, having conversations with people who I care about, with people who know me and love me, or, you know, like, enjoy what I do, that inspires, that sort of, you know, sparks things. And if they didn't, when you said, if I was having a bad day, like, I mean, part, part of the wonderful thing about comedy is, that it's not necessarily only about, you know, like bright, shiny, light things. In fact, that it's often about, you know, shining that light, perhaps making mm-hmm. light out of, but in a way, not making light of, but shining a light on, you know, like there's like Maria Bamford talks about her mm-hmm. mental health challenges, like yeah. pardon on TIG, you know, like people are talking about like serious topics with humor. And so if I were like in a, in a mood. And here's the thing is like, I like in the past couple of days, I'm like, Oh, uh, I have a dent in my car and uh, the insurance company is uh, supposed to call at some point and hopefully tell me that they're giving me, you know, that they pay for the thing and it doesn't cost a lot of money. And mm-hmm. like, that's something that exists at that, you know, after this conversation, I'll go, I might go back to worrying about like, it's, it's taking, you know, it's, it's doing its thing right i'm not going to have this whole conversation be about my concern for my car and its well-being yeah. so there is a you know sometimes compartmentalization but also just the fact that like to to be asked by a friend like how are you to be to connect with somebody to like what is you know which i feel like i'm always just grateful for, like, if I have the time to answer, if I have, you know, the friend who actually cares, the person who is really present wanting to know, like, what, or in this case, not even just how are you, but a more Mm -hmm. specific, measured, you know, thoughtful Mm -hmm. question about my life and my work and and the interaction between the two and how that all operates, like, I have such gratitude for you and that and this whenever, like, right now and whenever Mm -hmm this mm-hmm. sort of thing happens that it more often, you know, brings me, you know, not away from whatever concerns I was having, but towards, you know, this more peaceful, centered, you know, energetic, enthusiastic mm-hmm. place that I love being be in in a way that I'm like, well, no, now I'm at work now. This is my, this is my job. The, the time to make the comedies, you know, and it's it's fun. So yeah, I think that like if I was having a day as such, I can still like share that honestly, and uh, that is also like not incongruous with like who I am as a human, you know, which includes being a comedian. But it's not even incongruous with being a comedian. Like imagine, here's a a funny thought that I, I don't know that I've specifically had before. Imagine somebody asking a comedian, hey, do you, do you find as a comedian that you, you are called upon to just be, you know, constantly miserable all the time? Like, isn't that doesn't that get exhausting? I mean, I know you do it on stage, but so, which is not necessarily like, you know, a stereotype about some comedians the sad clown wise, but uh, yeah, a uh, short answer. No.
1: Well, okay. Oh my God. All right. I have so many questions. So you actually just said something that made me think about uh, the self-deprecating comedians. And that is right. not my jam. That's not something I enjoy, especially when people are being fat phobic about themselves, which is a lot of women comedians do that. And it it's like I just it it it, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that they're doing that in front of people and, and normalizing it somehow. So can you sort of speak to like the whole self-deprecating humor and like what your take is on it and you know how you might bring up your own truths but somehow you do them very thoughtfully and not self-deprecatingly
2: oh man i mean i don't know if i'm gonna be good at talking about this topic (laughs) because i'm just not good at self-deprecating i'm only good at self-appreciating and great question first have you seen the the one woman show uh nanette Yeah, of course, like
1: a billion times. And I saw Hannah Gadsby do Douglas live in L.A., which was recorded for Netflix.
2: Excellent. I I feel like she talks about, like, this kind of thing so so much, so well, so extensively, like, from her own experience. And, like, I can—here's mine. Is, like, I'm vegan and I've been vegan, I think I— for about as long as I've been a comedian. So I've always <laughs> been doing vegan, like I've been vegan, yeah, since about 2002-ish. And that's about when uh, I started doing comedy as well. And I've been vegetarian a few years before that, and I was pursuing music before that. So that's how you become a, a vegan. I, know, I understand your audience mostly already is, but if you want to go uh, even further into it, uh, start doing comedy. I think that helps in a way. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly the mechanisms all involved, but uh, that's how that's how it worked for me. <laughs> I was like, I guess healthier food, you know, uh, more more aware, more. I mean, honestly, more self awareness, more thinking about, you know, what I'm doing, what's going into my body, what's coming out of my body. You know, it's not so not so far fetched <laughs> baby. Okay, so. <laughs> But as I also, so I put out an album a few years ago about most, you know, mainly about how I don't want children called No Kidding. And I have at times in my life been... a a polyamorous, identified, open relationship person. And I have, at times, been an atheist, identified person. And I am now, more recently, uh, into like psychedelics in a specific way that I've found valuable and meaningful. And so, I've talked about all these things in my comedy in, in ways that I always, had to, or if not had to, at least I was aware that most people who were watching my comedy, uh, that most audiences in general, like, you know, performing in the places that I am, uh, exception being in front of your audiences, you know, like or very specialized. Like I've performed at psychedelic like conferences. And mm-hmm. then it's like, wow, it's the the same kind of, you know, warm, welcoming, like home vibe mm-hmm. that I'm like, oh, like I don't have to, you know, like you you go you're talking to a friend, you're talking to your family, you're talking to somebody who's known you, talking to somebody who has similar experiences, like they're they don't have to all the prerequisites have been read. You know, you don't have to start at the in the with the beginner's manual. Mm-hmm. So but I'm like really, I maybe you know this that one of my first like vegan jokes that I ever wrote like on on my first album Vegan Mind Meld that was it came out about 10 11 years ago like the the way that I would introduce the topic to mainly a you know non-vegan audience I re- I think I recorded for a non-vegan audience. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't check everybody. You know, it's like oh, it's your business. Um, but uh, I would say ha, I'm vegan. Are there any other douchebags here? And
1: <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and so I mean, on the question of self-deprecating like that, to me, like I wasn't like I truly believe that I am a douchebag, and I'm looking for my fellow douchebags in the world. Right. But. I, I felt it was not necessary, but like sufficient. It was it because there are there are these assumptions that people have, these connotations that people read into vegans. You know, mm-hmm. if the same way like with anything, I remember several years ago. I forget if we talked about this on my podcast, but I read about like in a survey that people were given about feminism and it was like 80% of people said they didn't identify with the term feminist but also 80% of the people said that they like they were asked about all these different feminist right. views and and points and they were like mm-hmm. oh yes i of course believe that all genders should be treated fairly, mm-hmm, equally mm-hmm. paid the same, you know, fee, be able to feel safe and what have you. And so like, well, secretly, you're, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to tell anyone that they are a feminist it, just because they believe everything that a feminist believes. But like, you know, like Dolly Parton says she's not a feminist. And I'm here to say that I guess in in some sense I'm a better feminist than Dolly Parton because she says <laughs> she's not one. And I'm not gonna, as a man, tell a woman about how to identify. Um, but <laughs> uh, So I feel like the reason that people responded the way that they did, saying uh, that they're not a feminist, even though they believe everything that uh, feminism stands for, is because Mm -hmm. the word carries connotations that are not even, like, they're they're stereotypical and not based, certainly not based in the reality of all, or even, I would say, most, lived feminist experiences. And Mm -hmm. similar... In veganism, like, people might have the image, the stereotype, the idea of, like, the, the loudest, most mm-hmm. annoying, you know, vegan that not, like, it's so hard to even imagine it now, like a, a new joke I'm working on uh, about this is like can you believe vegans always talking about how they don't want to harm any living beings if they can avoid it can you believe that they want there to be more happiness and less suffering in the mm-hmm. world like can you believe and they want to talk about it they want to express <laughs> that idea to other people to they want they want to let me know that that's what they thing and that that (laughs) harms me so doesn't that go counter to their voice vegan disproven you know (laughs) and so it's hard for me to the farther i get but at the beginning of my comedy career when it was more like i'm glad to also be now attracting you know the people who want i want the people who would love my comedy to see my comedy Mm -hmm. if my comedy, then, uh, then great. I hope that you, I hope you don't see it. You know, I don't want, I'm not, I'm not trying to convert or, you know, any, like everybody has to make their own choice. Like I'm not trying to convert anybody to my comedy. Like I Mm -hmm. want you to discover it and be like, Oh, this is for me. I've been, I've been a fan of yours this whole time. And I didn't even know you. So, but at the beginning when I'm like, I didn't know how to do comedy. uh, And I'm just like, well, there's these audiences and I quote unquote, have to entertain them. I have to Mm -hmm. connect with them. Like it, it seemed like a very, a simple way. And I'm like, I'm confident in like, at least as far as my veganism goes, like I'm Mm -hmm. generally speaking, confident in who i am and how i live and i'm not just you know busting into people's houses being like knocking their meat off the table you know and being like eat a vegetable now you know like really and- or are not
1: i that's it seems like we <laughs> haven't actually tried that collectively as a movement Oh, we've yeah. tried leafleting we've tried protesting but i can honestly say i have never broken into someone's house and Taking the meat off the table. And since our hen house is based in, you know, a multi-pronged approach to change making, I'm not going to say it's not going to (laughs) work. Oh, oh yeah. I'm just, I haven't done it yet.
2: Uh, Also, I want to, I do want to hang a bit of a lantern on, I feel like, uh, the most vegan way of getting information across, the most vegan sounding way is the leaflet. Um, it's just like a,
1: a <laughs> oh my tiny God. leaf. <laughs> I've never thought about that. Okay, so and the last time I talked to you, That's so funny. The last time I talked to you, you you kind of blew my mind about the word branding or brand. Like when you know, because oh, I have a lifestyle brand. Oh, you know, fabulous vegan. Where you you spoke at both of our virtual events so far, and and you know, it's it's more than a book; it's a brand. But yet, you told me.
2: Oh, yes. That, I mean, of course, branding comes from literal branding, uh, you know, a searing piece of metal into the flesh of uh, a cow, an animal. And uh, so, like, I... I specific like I'm happy for anyone to have like I, so I, I've started coming up with different words that could be used. Uh, the one I think a fan of mine, a friend of mine came up with was uh, flavor. That seems nice. Like uh, this is my my favorite, my flavor. It, it doesn't do every it doesn't capture because that word, the right. word branding has such branding power. I, it's I mean, been- it just
1: kind of boggled my mind though because i'm a word nerd like i stay up at night i put words together i mean i this is what i do and and i've been vegan for 17 years and i just i never thought of obviously i know what branding is but i never realized that like when you're talking about a lifestyle brand you're talking about something that was derived from something so horrific for animals and for slaves it's just kind of one of those things you know like why didn't i realize it sooner but um I mean, that's what I love about your humor is that you are very kind of thoughtful and in ways that I don't even always realize in the moment. You know, like, for example, I was a guest on your podcast, Broccoli and Ice Cream, recently. And I'm almost embarrassed about the whole thing, to be honest, because first you interviewed me about about veganism and what do I think works as far as vegan advocacy. And I said, well, let me tell you about my brand. No, I didn't. (laughs) I said, I said, uh, you know, I don't think that you should let perfect be the enemy of the good. And we talked about that and how it's about making more and more decisions that like align you with your align, your, your behaviors with your worldview. And then, you know, uh, in the second interview, which was just for your Patreon subscribers, you, you talked to me about mindfulness practice. And I was like, oh, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> and so I don't do it. And you were like, you totally called me on it. And, you know, you were like, you literally just said to not let perfect be the enemy of the good. And something about that conversation legit changed my life. Like, I <sighs> seriously have to thank you for that because, you know, at the same time, you and I were kind of chatting about, you know, our Oculus virtual reality goggles, which we were able to hang out in, and like you know, do mini golf and um, ping pong, which was fun. But meanwhile, I I bought it to use some of the workout apps and some of the meditation apps, and so I had this thing in the corner. And we're talking about how I don't do mindfulness stuff, and I was like, I can't, I can no longer let that be my excuse that I'm just bad at it. It is just, it's just like hiding behind an excuse, and so probably the next day I started. And I have not stopped since, and that was a few months ago. And it's been, it has elevated my life.
2: That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear it. Uh, and I'll, I'll be happy to take complete credit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For, I mean, we're all one, so you know, we're all we're all helping each other out. We're all, I like Ramdas says. I think we're all like walking each other home. So, I mean, I was thrilled to have the first conversation. i was thrilled to have both conversations with you, but in the first conversation, like you have so much knowledge and experience in this world that I'm so grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing, and you know, to be able to just like point people to it, like sincerely, be like, look, like they there are answers to some of these questions, and like. We don't have all of the answers individually, but we can look, you know, historically and cross-culturally and throughout our society and other societies, and like just to individual. There are people who are doing the work. There are people who are specializing in, you know, what it is to be themselves. You know, creating, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your your space in the world. And it's, you know, what you do is so valuable. And I'm so happy to, uh, you know, get to know you and be a part of it and learn from you, and then offer whatever i can from like my own experience which also involves you know at some point somebody if not as explicitly saying to me like hey that thing that you said about that other thing what if you thought it about this this thing that you say a different thing about mm-hmm. like with my my girlfriend has been a, a, an amazing inspirational influence in my life for the past almost 5 years now we've been together and like one thing that was so mind-blowing to me was like, and this is like, I feel like intellectually, I understood this, but then uh, the the thing is, when we have a judgment about someone else, Mm -hmm. it's not to say that it can't be that somebody else, you know, isn't doing something harmful, but that the feeling that we have, however strong it is, is often indicative of something that we can work on within ourselves. Like yeah. the, answer, the answer to, you know, if you're outside and it's raining and you're angry that it's raining, like uh, the answer, the solution to your problem can't be, it shouldn't be raining. I wish it weren't raining. Like I'm going to be angry or sad or disappointed or frustrating because it's raining. Like that can be where you start, but then hopefully you're not just gonna be angry at the rain or angry angry at, you know, a person who you think who there again, people like we're all, I feel like there's a, there's a Buddhist thing that my friend, my Buddhist friend Gus told me about like when, when somebody hits somebody with a stick, you don't get mad at the stick. And also I think they say, you know, the person was caused to do that by, like, the stick was caused to do that by the person, and the person was caused to do that by a a string of, you know, causes and conditions going back Mm -hmm. to, like, they were a baby and they were treated a certain way, and then they became the person that they were through, in some ways, no fault of their own, like, whatever choices they made. And so judging, like, isn't necessarily, like, you know, like, it's sort of like the thoughts and prayers of, uh, you know, veganism, like, if we're, we're not just sitting, hopefully, we're not just sitting around being like, people shouldn't eat meat, you know, that's, I mean, that's true, that'd be, it'd be great, but just, just saying it isn't, isn't doing all of the help, like, there needs to be, you know, actions along with the thoughts and the prayers, actions, Mm -hmm. and sometimes the action is, you know, so far, not yet running into someone's house and knocking the meat off their table, like. But more, you know, offering, uh, you know, living, living the way that you believe that we believe is the the kindest way to be, the most helpful, effective way to be. Uh, and it's it's challenging sometimes when you know, like, imagine. I feel like, you know. I'm not. I don't mean to say that we're we're all children. I don't mean to say that uh, that I have any like greater enlightened experience than anyone else can possibly have like i we're all there's a thing in buddhism what one fool can do any fool can do and like we all start as some fool and there's we can become hopefully less foolish along we're on a we're all on a path to become slightly less foolish you know one step at a time but it's like you know if before I was a vegetarian, I ate meat and now I don't. And I'm glad. And so I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, now I'm like, now I've learned calculus, but I had to learn arithmetic first. I had to not know how to do math at all. I had to learn one thing at a time and different people at different places are at different points along this path. And so, but it was just so like mind blowing and my, you know, heart opening for me to like, look at, when my girlfriend like offered me kindly, like when I'm like, can you believe that that person is like that? And she's mm-hmm. like, interesting. That person is like that. I was like, oh, you're okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'm sometimes like that. Maybe I'm a little like, you know, sort of not to be too on the nose, but I'm like, can you believe how judgmental that person right.
1: is? You know? Um. Yeah. But you, you somehow managed to take that I don't even know how to word it. Like that enlightenment, that humility, that curiosity about the world and you infuse it in your comedy. But I don't know how you, and I'm, I'm Buddhist curious for sure, but there's (laughs) a lot I don't know. But, um, uh, I'm, how how do you do it without being self-righteous? Because like, uh, this is kind of a question for all vegans, for all the vegans who are listening to this right now. Like, how do you show up non-judgmentally understanding that you're further along in some capacity, maybe, but someone else is further along in another capacity. And especially when you're putting it on stage in front of, you know, in front of all these people who are watching you and they like want to be entertained and they want to like have something, uh, allow them to be, um, thought provoked and, and, and yet you do so with humility I guess I'm, I'm just I know I'm babbling a little bit, but I'm trying to figure out how you can show up with this like deeper understanding of the world and of animals, put it on stage and not look like you're making fun of yourself or the animals or other vegans.
2: Sure. Uh, Well, thank you. That's a a very kind question that I'll also tie back to the question you asked earlier about self-deprecation that I think we're still in the middle of my answering. Uh, I feel like everything is (laughs) always in the middle. I mean, one way, one very practical aspect for me uh, with this particular question is to remember who I was before I became vegan before I became vegetarian. That I just like. There's a there's a, a quote by a, a joke by Doug Stanhope, one of my favorite comedians. He says something like, "I'll yell at you today for not knowing something that I just learned yesterday," and it's like so poignant and beautiful and like applicable to like to this and to so many things. Like, <laughs> I mean. I'll, so the the two things that I that I recommend for myself, and that if it sparks, you know, if it resonates with you or with anyone listening, you can use try to do this if you want to, is like know that anyone else like my friend my Buddhist friend Gus uh, offered me like the word yet is so powerful. Like he told me about a situation where let's say, a, a a congressperson had died and he didn't really know about them. And he's like, oh, that's too bad. And then a friend, a, a friend of his would tell him, he was like, oh no, that person was actually like uh, homophobic, racist, sexist, some, you know, so it's, g-. and he's like, oh, then I guess it's too bad that they didn't live long enough to regret those views and, you know, atone and try to work to be better. That's too bad. And like, they didn't, they didn't improve yet. Mm-hmm. Like every, like mm-hmm. I know that, uh, unless, unless you started life as a as a perfect vegan, you know, a gold star, you know, like n- didn't even didn't even drink your mother's milk, you know, but that's <laughs> which is such Especially a weird. Especially
1: because she was in the basement, changed to this machine, <laughs> and she was being forcibly, uh, you know, inseminated.
2: Oh yes. So most, I'd say, most vegans and most ve- mo- most people who are now vegan at one point in their life weren't. And I know some people did like realize, like had their eyes opened as a child and that's great, but also we can know like, you know, you and I both were adults. Like we were as adults, we didn't always live the way that we do now, which is good because that means that we are progressing, that means that Mm -hmm. we are learning, that means we are evolving, that we are positively changing, and so it would be like any judgment, any self-righteousness, I mean, and it's not to say that I'm like, incapable of feeling these things, or that I don't even say or manage, like I'm not, I'm not a divinely enlightened Buddhist master, you know, I'm but I, I do at least intellectually know that anything that I level against somebody else, like also I'm, you know, the finger is pointing at my past self, maybe my present self. Like, so instead of being like, they shouldn't do that, I'm like, you know, we are all, like to think about we, you know, because that's sort of the whole thing, you know, to, to be mm-hmm. like, like to expand the, the zone of who is included in, in our, our care like a joke i wrote recently is uh like when jesus said love thy neighbor and then uh you know some politicians are like okay well let's see how we can gerrymander this neighborhood to make sure that we don't have as many people (laughs) in here we just want to be who's my neighbor you know i'm like oh yeah i mean i feel like ultimately everyone every sentient being is you know our our neighbor in as far as we can care for, you know, the increasing the happiness, increasing the pleasure, increasing the joy, and the root of those things, and decreasing the suffering, and the root of those things. And, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I'd say be, be as as kind and patient with ourselves as we can, and then also be as kind and patient with others, and just learn as much more as as we can. Like, I learned this thing, I think it's the maybe the fundamental attribution error. I I don't know if I have the name exactly right, but it's like when somebody else does something, you know, makes a mistake or does something wrong, like like that's because of like who they are and then when we like you know stumble, when we make a mistake we're like, well, I know about the circumstances that led to me doing that. Like, I, I'm not bad. I didn't intend that. Like, I, I made him. I accident. Like, I was made. You know. And it's true. Everyone, like Gus, shared this thing with me. Like, everyone else looks like an airplane, but we look like a cockpit. You know, we see from the inside of ourselves uh, a yeah. different thing, and everybody else looks like there's. Other great advice I heard once, I think on the Dear Prudence podcast, like don't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. And, and then also, I don't know where this is from, like think about your own soul and everyone else's stomachs. Like, so don't, it, the answer can't be that everyone else is doing something wrong and I'm not and I can't change positively. As like, so always be all thinking about everyone. Like sometimes people are like people pleasers and they like, you know, sacrifice themselves and only are thinking about other people. It's important, whichever, whichever, pendulum direction you're swinging in, like think about the other one also. Like if you're thinking too much about yourself, think about others. If you're thinking too much about others, think about yourself because Mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're all in this, I think what, what Thich Nhat Hanh calls, we are all interbeing. Like we Mm -hmm. can't exist without each other, you know, like no living thing can exist without other living things without, Mm -hmm. you know. So I'm, I'm now rambling a bunch, but I I do want to just zoom into the answer to the self-deprecation thing where, when I say, when I call myself, you know, a, when I say, are there any other douchebags here? Like I am, like, I think that could be argued to be a self-deprecating joke, but the point is, the point of it was, is to connect with the the stereotype that people have to hopefully dispel it, to hopefully, like, magically remove it because, like, I mean, here's the thing. If you're, like, a self-aware douchebag I think is better than a a not self-aware douchebag to the point that like my goal is to not be a douchebag at all. And I'm sorry to keep using the word douchebag if people don't like that word. I don't really love that word. And I don't, I, I would never say that word anymore, but uh, except over and over in this conversation. But <laughs> I think that, yeah, the, the thing that you're pointing to, when you see, like, internalized fat phobia manifesting, when you see, like, perhaps internalized misogyny uh, mm-hmm. in female comedians, I hope that, like, what a lot of people are doing is what, you know, what I'm doing with respect to, like, that... They we've been as comedians trained to get laughs, trained to like as you know, Hannah Gadsby points out in Nanette. Like, I don't think it's all like uh trauma that has been unaddressed. Sometimes that might be so. But also I think ultimately, like certainly for me, like I haven't like I'm I'm a straight, white, cisgender, able-bodied male. You know, I'm mm-hmm. all of the the things that I talked about earlier, like being vegan, being, you know, into psychedelics, being, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, an advocate of open relationships, if that's the way that you want to uh, live mm-hmm. consensually and ethically in your life, uh, not wanting children. Like, these are all, like, various choices that I've made that, you know, put me into, you know, minority views that I don't have to have, uh, whereas it's very different than, obviously, somebody of a marginalized race, gender, ethnicity, you know, sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I certainly, I can't speak to their experiences, but I do know that there are people who have, like, worked through traumas relating to those things and then can, like, play in the world uh, of of those, those ideas, those expectations, those, you know, that of those paradigms. Uh, but certainly there are still people that are, of course, and, and I include my, I'm sure I'm internalizing certain things. Like, but I did at a certain point stop. Like I used to tell, this is a a quick thing. I used to be like, people think of me as like, a guy who like doesn't do well like in relationships or isn't good at dating or can't mm-hmm. get a date and that i mean for a time up until i was like 16 that was true and then i like came out of my shell and blossomed more socially and like c- continued to learn how to be who i am and i'm still doing that but at a certain point i you know i had girlfriends i was dating so when i was like standing in front of people for a while there was like this disconnect of, or like, like the, the, uh, the sort of trope of being like, I know what I look like. I look like the kind of person or you think that, you must be thinking that this is who I am. And so I would have jokes about that. But eventually I was like, I'm just gonna, instead of having all these layers, I mean, I still have a lot of layers, but instead of having all these layers of what I think other people think, I'm like, I'm just gonna start with where I am, who I am, here I am. And then then it is funny if people are like, really? Is that real? And I'm like, well, then this is, that's where the conversation can begin.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that I think about a lot as being, you know, vegan and animal rights activist and a lesbian and an atheist and tattooed, you know, and not like someone who looks like you're, uh, Americanized n- normal version of beauty or whatever. Like I think about that a lot in how I present and how I kind of am like this giant stereotype in a lot of ways. And sometimes I wish it, sometimes I think it, it works against me as a vegan to, to also be a lesbian, to also be, uh, you know, all of the other things I just mentioned, because I feel like people have an idea of who I'm going to be and how I'm going to be before I even walk into the room. And what I'm trying to do is change the world for animals and, and, and encourage people to go vegan. And so if they see all of the, what they perceive to be radical ways that I present, I'm not sure that that's going to ultimately lead to my goal. You know, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think you should stop being a lesbian and get rid of your tattoos and uh, change your entire body and mind and consciousness and spirit in a way that would make other people more comfortable, you know? Um, I mean, I, I do, sincerely, I... I, when I started doing comedy, there was like another uh, vegan comedian who was like yelling a lot. And I, I was like, I think that that is effective sometimes. At the time, I was like, I don't want to do that. Uh, it's not my style of comedy. It's not. My style of being, uh, and you know, not to say that like if a comedian yells like Lewis Black is a very you know gentle, soft-spoken man off stage. He's very kind, and then on stage he plays this character. He yells as his character, mm-hmm. and so this is not to put any any level of judgment on, but in uh, on how how one performs, and I think like. Carlin, you know, there's like a long history in comedy of like people expressing righteous anger at you know the the powers that be uh, you know punching upward at you know speaking truth to power like at up uh, doing comedy about the authorities and what they are doing that is harmful and that and that evoke anger that anger I'm and so I want to make it clear for sure that I experience anger and and sometimes i express that anger but i when i have the option when i have the choice of how i am like when i'm curating my comedy for example when i'm performing like i do like sometimes pre- like act taking on the voice of an angry you know a person that i'm in that moment becoming briefly i'm like maybe i'm angry at that kind of anger coming from uh, a different source but the question that i that I sort of ask myself is like, do I want to, do I want to help peacefully, like, you know, move, move forward? Or do I want to help angrily? If I could theoretically like have the same effect, if I could be guaranteed, like, and this is, everything is interconnected. And, but just, you know, if we could do a scientific experiment and be like, hey, you're going to have the exact same effect on the world. Uh, if you do this angrily, or if you do this, Uh, if you can do it calmly, then I would prefer to feel calm while I am hopefully affecting the same change outwardly and inwardly. And also I do think, and this is not to tell anyone else how to live, but personally, I feel that I think I do have more of an impact when I do so calmly. And so like all we can control is what we do. If we can control anything, like you can't, there, there's some things like that either of us, we can't control about what people are going to see mm-hmm. when they look at us. So don't, mm-hmm. there's there's a, a joke that I have about Buddhism is uh, like, there's a thing they say, like everything is either something you can control or that you can't control. And if you can't control something, don't worry
1: about it. And if right, you- have, it's I mean, it's like yeah. the serenity prayer. Like the Oh, yes. The serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. But you're making me think about the fact that like, as someone who is, you know, fat and tattooed and all of the things, like in some ways- Taking up space, whether it's on stage or or what have you, a podcast or what have you, is kind of a uh, an act of social change, an act of social like like Hannah Gadsby being on that stage, like being so fierce and fabulous, and and also being like a Butch Dyke and and being you know um, taking up space is is by itself a revolutionary act. And yet, I don't know how to ask this, so I'm just gonna ask it. You're saying that you have more impact, you think, when you're calm. But the space you're taking up, you are very aware of the fact that the space you're taking up is as a, you know, um, cisgender, white, straight man. And so in some ways, I guess you have to be a little bit more calm because we don't want your anger. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm very aware that
2: uh, and I become more and more aware that when I say things like this, like, this is not, I'm not offering advice to everyone, or even necessarily anyone except for myself. That's a, I mean, that's a a very good, uh, like, focus on the point that, like, there are there are people of color there are queer people there are uh people who have had the experiences that i in this lifetime in this incarnation have not had and thus have no direct insight into what it is like and what is a reasonable and natural reaction like i read you know read stories all the time and hear stories from friends about like you know a woman comedian who if she Says something that makes a group of people feel a way, she gets death threats and threats of sexual assault, you know, that might still Uh. be coming like several years after, like, the quote unquote offending incident, which might have been her just, you know, living her life and saying something like that to me is, you know, true, funny, non controversial. But I do my best to like when I, I I like to focus on talking about the small good things in my experience and the the large bad things. Because I feel, I feel like if I talk about the small bad things, I'm like, if I like really yelled a lot about, you know, stubbing my toe, then, <laughs> then people would be like, hey, there's a lot of people with broken legs. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm so, I'm, yeah. Right.
1: I mean, I was worried when I was saying that. I don't mean to be like, you know, so Mike, I'm going to put you in your place. I'm going to out-marginalize you right now. I'm going to, you know, like, and and because what I think you do so well, and I'm trying to figure out how you do it, is that you speak up for like a lot of marginalized communities. You are really a social justice advocate, but you're a stand-up comedian first. And so somehow you weave those together and you do so in a way that is not offensive. It makes your audience feel like they're you know on the same team as you not like you're judging them and and i guess i keep going back around to like how how are you how are you doing it maybe it's starting by the douchebag joke because you're basically you know talking about the elephant in the room and saying like i see the elephant too so you know now that we all see the elephant let's start the show
2: I like that. Also, here's a new, a new joke uh, coming into at least some new joke ingredients. Uh, all right, I'm vegan. Let's talk about the elephant in the room and how we don't want it to be working at the circus. We want it to be <laughs> living free in the wild.
1: Um... <laughs> Wait, I want to talk about the word douchebag, though, before we go on, because I have thoughts on it. I actually am not offended by it. And I used to be. So Mm. I want to say that I used to be offended by it because I thought it was like misogynist. And then I realized that, you know, douches can also be for assholes. And so huh. I stopped seeing it as a misogynist thing that was only tied to, like, a human who has a vagina. So I never thought I would talk about this on our henhouse. <laughs> <but laughs> I, I just wanted to put that out there because we have a very sensitive, you know, very sensitive audience, I think, sometimes. And I wanted to just sort of normalize the word douchebag for them.
2: <laughs> I I appreciate it. You're, you're right. And that's the kind of thing that, like... When, have we talked about the, do you know about the use-mention distinction? No. Uh, So the use-mention distinction is that, like, a word can be used and a word can be mentioned. Like, to use the word douchebag would be to, like, the classic example would be to call someone sincerely, like, to say, you are this. You know, you are a douchebag. That is using the word. But mentioning the word is saying, like, sometimes people call other people or themselves douchebags, right? That is not using the word. It is mentioning the word. And like, this comes into play. Like, I mean, I'm glad we're using this word. I'm glad that we're mentioning this word in this conversation and not because there's so many other, like the topic arises with like racial slurs or other kinds of slurs, like who is allowed, quote unquote, to say various words in various situations. And like, I do think that it's always better to be it's always worse to be using the word than to be mentioning the word. But mm-hmm. if you are mentioning the word, it is still a word that has power and can make the people who are hearing it, if they don't want to hear it, like, you know, if you, as a queer person, as a, a gay right. person, uh,
1: I, I call myself a dyke. I would prefer you didn't, like, yes. for example.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so similarly, I'm glad to have now, like, I don't actually use the word douchebag. I I mean, I don't think I ever, maybe I used to use it. It like, you know, when I was younger, I'm like, oh, that, that guy, you know, that guy's kind of a, I think I would almost always call a guy a douchebag. It's very rare. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, the, the good, the good kind of, uh, sex discrimination, uh, or gender discrimination, (laughs) um, you know, taking back the power, the good kind, but I'm, and I, and I think my discomfort with it, now, like, so I so I wrote that joke, you know, over 10 years ago, I recorded it, and then I don't tell that joke anymore, I only, like, mention the joke for this particular reason, and also, I'm glad that in the joke, I am calling myself it, I'm, I'm like, this is mm-hmm. who I am, or who maybe people might think I am, the same way as you, you can self-identify however you want, use, it's important for you to use all the, like, use the, the language that makes you feel good, that you think is true of and you and i can
1: take the power away from someone else who's using it in a in a mean way you know like all of the words dyke fat whatever like i can just say yeah that's what i am i have it's two, my word
2: two things if go, i may
1: go, go 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 fuck yourself you douchebag i mean it's my word
2: <laughs> there's there was a a comedian who I was, a, I think we started out around the same time in Boston and she sadly passed away, a, I think a couple years ago. Her name was Alana Devich and she was a lesbian and super funny and had this one joke that does have the the word, the lesbian D word in it. Do you mind if I share it with you?
1: For the sake of the conversation, <laughs> I think you did enough disclaimers. Go I ahead. I appreciate
2: it. That, that other D word. Um, I... Uh, the disclaimer. word. So she says, uh, <laughs> paraphrasing, but she's like, I was walking with my girlfriend holding hands and like a car dri- drove by and somebody yelled out dykes. And I looked at my girlfriend and, and we're like, yeah, we know, you know. <laughs> she's like, I and she says, I actually like have a similar reaction when I see women holding hands, but I just don't, I don't use the same tone. I'm always like dykes. <laughs>
1: That's exactly right. Oh, I love that.
2: Yeah. And I have this, uh, I have a new joke that I'm working on about this concept where it seems like, it seems like a, a willful ignorance that some people have. I'm saying people, but I mean straight white men. Uh, Some people have when they're like, well, why can't I, how come you can say it, but I can't say it. And here's, here's my analogy. Hey, how come you can call your mom, mom? But if I call your mom, mom, then that's weird. Like words are relational. Like the word I is different if I'm saying it compared to if you're saying it. So surely other words are also, you know, like mom, dad, son, daughter, sibling, like whatever it is, like they don't, words don't have inherent objective universal intrinsic meaning it of course depends like who you are what you're saying why you're saying it under what mm-hmm. circumstances you're saying it and i i and that's a thing that i also didn't always know like i probably used to you know years ago i would have been of the opinion like like funny is funny if it's a joke if it's intended to be a joke mm-hmm. then it's a joke and Like, there are people who, if you hear satire, but you don't, if you came in in the middle and you don't know that it's satire, you might be like, what is is this hate speech? Like, context is important.
1: Context is important. And I keep having this memory... I'm almost positive you were a performer at this show that I'm about to talk about. Um, but you are not the performer that I'm thinking of. I don't remember their name and I probably wouldn't say it even if I did, but there was like a comedy fundraiser that was raising money for an animal sanctuary. And, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you were there and there were a couple other uh, performers that were either vegan or very vegan friendly. And uh, one of the comedians was, just did not get the memo. Like the audience was full of people. It was a nightclub in New York city. People were ready to laugh. They were excited. The feeling was good. Everyone was dressed up. There was an amazing auction. Most of the comedians were spot on. And then this one comedian went up and just made fun of vegans. And I mean, I felt bad for them in a way just because my empathy gets the better of me sometimes. Like you missed the memo. Like you have the rest of the world. Like this is a safe space for vegans. Go away. But I also felt bad for them because I just don't think they should have been booked in the first place. And I guess I'm just, Wondering what you think about that, because you said that like language is important, knowing the context is important. So how can we use comedy to propel our movement forward and not alienate either vegans or even not yet vegans, as oh, your sure friend Gus might say? <laughs>
2: oh yeah. Uh, And I might as well now. I have a very strong memory of, I think, that night in question, and I also won't name the comedian, but here, one one complicating factor that I think is important for us as vegans to discuss as well is, I think, and whether or not this is the, the experience that you remember, I had an experience that was very much like that, where... Exactly as you described it, but the uh, the comedian is black, and there had been possibly either earlier in the show or like earlier in his uh, experience, he had come across a like a, vegans who had been making an analogy to slavery, which I understand why the analogy. Gets made sometimes. Ugh, uh, I don't
1: remember this at all. I don't remember the comedian being black or the slavery stuff because I would have probably walked out at that part, the slavery stuff. But, but, but okay. So, regardless of whether it was the same event, go ahead.
2: Oh, and so he was objecting to the comparison of black people and animals on grounds that may, so maybe we have completely different experiences, but uh-huh. maybe these are totally different shows. But yeah, I, the, it was the same kind of situation where it was, it was a, a vegan event a vegan fundraiser and this person is like a a social justice like a social justice advocate you know like a an activist on so many levels but not vegan and so his comedy instincts and his you know who he is as a human being and as a black man in my memory like at the time, I I was probably closer to not understanding why he was as upset as he was, mm-hmm. and that and that is where I think the making fun of vegans came from for him uh, was that like it seemed to him that uh, at least some vegans didn't understand. Like and now, I'm very glad that you know there is such intersectionality, you know, in in your work, in your thought process, and in in the lives and work of so many vegans. But also, there's, of course, there's some, you know, the context of race doesn't always come up when veganism is discussed. And so I can understand a Black person feeling marginalized in the discussion of veganism.
1: Of course. Yeah.
2: Particularly if the analogy is made that, like, people used to believe that I mean, like humans are animals, and we know that. And also, there is a distinction between human animals and non human animals in our society, in our lives, in our world, in the way we conceive of things, in like in our legal system, in the way animals, uh, non human animals are treated uh, mm-hmm. with n- mostly no rights, certainly mm-hmm. minimal rights, fewer rights. And that is also how it used to be for Black people legally. They did not have human rights. They were not considered human. They were considered less than human, animal wise. They were like white humans, uh, and then Black non humans is the way it was. And I mean, I'm not. I didn't discover this. Like I'm, uh, I'm merely. I I all. I mean, at some point it was pointed out to me, or at some point I did discover, like, I was like, oh, this, this is so. And so I could understand why a black person who sees, you know, vegans making that comparison. Yeah, of course. Uh,
1: absolutely. And I mean, if it's funny that I don't, this was a long time ago. I mean, this was probably, you know, maybe like 2011 or 12 or so. So I'm not, I don't remember specifically, but I feel like, I hope that that wouldn't happen, that there wouldn't be that comparison now though. I mean, it makes me think also of what you just said about like language and as a word nerd myself we have so many words. I mean, you, you, you or your friend pivoted brand to flavor. Maybe that's not totally it, but like, let's think creatively. Let's come up with new systems that aren't oppressive, whether they're jokes or, or, you know, metaphors, the animals don't need metaphors. In my opinion, they, they are going through a hell unto itself that don't require uh, a metaphor. And, and hopefully we can get out of this, like, ridiculous infighting about, should we say Holocaust or should we not? Like, no, let's not say it. Let's instead talk about what is actually happening to animals. Do we say slavery? Do we compare it? No, it's too rot. it's, 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 it's a, it's a microaggression. It's, it's, it's offensive. It's not okay to say, it's alienating, it is everything against what we wanna be doing as animal advocates, which is bringing people in to this cause and helping them discover the joy of being vegan and the abundance of it.
2: And I'd also like to uh, share, I don't know if you and I have talked about, uh, do you know the comedian and activist Dick Gregory?
1: Yes, of course. Yeah.
2: I, mm-hmm. I mean, he's somebody who I only like I've, I'd i heard of for years, but had never, you know, engaged with the work of. And still, I'm ve- at the very beginning of learning more. But I just like did a little research because w- when I learned, I was, I think, performing at and I think maybe the National Animal Rights Conference a couple of years ago. And Tracy McWhorter, um, Tracy mm-hmm. McWhorter was speaking. Yeah,
1: she writes a lot about him.
2: And yeah, she she talked about him and how when she was in college, he spoke about, you know, as a black man, as a black person, how interconnected all of the fights for rights and consideration were and that he had been, I think he died maybe in 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. but he had been, I think, vegan for 50 plus yes. years, like since the 60s as part of the civil rights struggle. So it's, it it seems so like at the core at the core of you know racial justice at the core of all social justice at the core of veganism is the same love kindness compassion for sentient beings of you know of any categorization of any label of any metaphor and we're capable of getting like you know lost in the weeds of being like well if this is called that then if that's called that but hopefully we can all, I mean, and I do think we're, you know, there are more and more people like becoming more and more aware that the light is being shined on past atrocities, on current atrocities. And, and hopefully, and there's people that are doing as much Uh, work within as also without, and that is also a part of it. Like, if you want the world to be more peaceful, one thing that you have absolute control over more than anything else is your own state of mind. If if you have control over anything, your actions, your thoughts, your beliefs, what you do, how you spend each day, Uh, So this is all about your mindfulness practice again. But the point (laughs) is... I mean, the, the question of how that you've, that you've asked a few times is, uh, like there's a book by Pema Shodron who I love, uh, and mm-hmm. the book is called Start Where You Are, which, I mean, you, you live that, you know that, like in so many aspects, the way to do it in comedy for me is that I started doing comedy and I, I didn't do what I do now, uh as completely when I started, you know, when I started, it was just like, I had some jokes about veganism because that was part of my experience. And some jokes about silly movies. And I still do like, I still like just create things, uh, and curate the, the thoughts and ideas and experiences that I have.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the core of our headhouse which is like, how am I, how do I become an animal activist? Well, what are you good at? Like literally exactly what you said, start with where you are. Is it, Writing listicles about those funny movies—is it accounting and loaning that skill to a board, L- whatever it is? So yes, I I I uh, totally agree with that.
2: And if you want, if you want there to be more comedy, if you want there to be more humor in like you know what you bring, like you are funny. You are—you're not a stand-up comedian specifically by trade by profession, but like you are funny. And where so much humor starts from is like what some of it is like what you think is funny, but some of it is like for me, like I was saying, like if there are audiences full of people uh, that are not like me, then it might be just funny to be like, this is who I am.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I said about like taking up space. I mean, I feel like as an atheist, vegan, lesbian, I have to be funny because I have to throw on its head that kind of like stereotype that I'm humorless and that I'll throw red paint on your coat
2: one way that you can be funny is to like take the things that you're, that you've expressed that you're nervous about, like, uh, or like that you're worried about like being too extreme being, you know, that people are going to make a judgment of who you are right when they see you and maybe not listen to anything that you say. But then the good news is a second later, you get to say something and you can like, I mean, it is like sort of the, I don't mean to say it exactly like this, but a classic comedy like trope of a long time is like, I know what you're thinking. And then say something that, you know, is a misdirect from that. Something that, you know, like if like, I feel like, you know, I know what you're thinking. Like I am, you know, a, and then just say something that you are completely right. not. uh yeah. To, you know, jar people out of the sort of complacent inertia of expectation of who you are or even just say like one time my friend jason did ayahuasca and he became he was like i used to be an angry person and now i am not an angry person he's like after one he's like i still he still experiences anger but he like identified he would have been like oh yeah i'm an angry person but now he's like i'm doing better and aiming to do better and part of that is not identifying as an angry person anymore. I'm, you know, a person that contains these multitudes but he also was like, when he told me about the experience of this psychedelic, you know, plant medicine ceremony, he was like, I saw auras, and I don't believe in auras, and I was, like, <laughs> having a, insights like, I'm like, we are all part of the same thing? Like, who is this? Like, what is, like, we're all what? I'm this nice. is the, the hackiest realization, and so that could be the other tack you take if you don't mm-hmm. want to say things that aren't true, is be like, I know I'm vegan, and of course I'm a lesbian, and of course I have tattoos, right, and of right. course everything that you think about me is true, and saying it with, with yeah. self-awareness and with confidence and with, and talking about, you could specifically talk about self-deprecation, talking about it, not using it, but mentioning it to be like some people in my position would be like, uh, would be self-deprecating about yeah. it, but I don't understand because yeah. there's...
1: it's totally true. Yeah. And, um, and oh gosh, Mike, I can talk to you. Better. We, we have to we have to switch gears in a minute, but I do, I do want to point out that what you're saying and how you're phrasing it about comedy and, and, and sort of speaking up, even if it's not going to be perfect and talking about your vulnerabilities and just being out there with it. It is like, it's so interesting to me because it's exactly what I talk about when I'm giving workshops on veganism and, and like people who want to speak up in their community, but they're afraid they don't know everything about like, you know, the semen extraction of um, steer or something. And so I'm like, that's okay. You don't have to know that. You can still talk about it. You can be transparent and honest. Like if you get asked a question, you don't know the answer. You can say, it's a great question. I don't know. And you're still, you're actually maybe more impactful that way. And it's also, cause i I'm very passionate about, well, this is very similar to what you do, just sort of a different, a different form, but I'm very passionate about using personal narrative as a means of social change, which you're doing, but as a stand-up comedian and I I'm doing as a memoirist or whatever. And I really want to work with people to help them find their voice in personal narrative and allow that to impact social change, especially marginalized communities like queer youth, for example. And I'm, I'm like telling you a giant secret. I don't often talk about it, but I really want to do that. I want that to be one of the next phases of, of what I'm doing in this world. And it's true. It, we have to just be kind of realistic and transparent and not ashamed of our vulnerabilities and not ashamed of the parts of us that are still learning and growing. And it's, I'm hearing myself say this and I'll call myself out on the fact that at the beginning of this conversation, I told you that I felt a little ashamed uh, when you talked about the mindfulness practice or lack thereof that I had when I told you, Oh, I can't do that. And I, and I just said, Oh, I'm kind of ashamed in retrospect, but truthfully, there's no reason for me to be like, just like vegans who, who are pre-vegan. And then one day they go vegan. I was someone who was really struggling with like developing a mindfulness practice that resonated with me. And that conversation with you was very, you know, revelatory for me, but I was doing it. I was leading up to that point before that. There's no shame in that.
2: No. I think that things like shame or regret, like, you know, if we have harmed people or animals or, in you know, physically or emotionally in the past, like, it makes sense to, uh, or ourselves in the best, it makes sense to acknowledge that and reckon with it and do what we can to apologize and make amends. And then I like to see... Like using regret as fuel for positive future, like being the way that you want to be, for positive change. Like it's great that you're, that you know things now and that you have ideas now that you didn't before, because that means that you're heading in the direction that you want. Like most of us aren't done yet. I don't want to speak for everyone. Maybe some people are done, but I'm not done and you're not done. And that means that being able to look back at who we were and potentially cringe a a little bit and be like, oh, you know, hopefully we can see it as endearing to be like, oh, I didn't know I was a younger child. I was more ignorant, like, because that's there's a, a woman named Linda Barry who is a uh, a teacher, a cartoonist, or a, a comic writer and an artist. And one of the things that she says in one of her books, which is like, she's like a, in teaching, it's sort of like a Zen koan. She says something like, how old do you have to be to make a bad drawing? Hmm. Because you oh, never I look at... I love that. Oh, yeah. And Another related thing that I saw once that I don't know where it comes from but like some some wise teacher the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time is now. Uh, so I love that too. Like, yeah, don't be upset about the trees that you didn't plant before, just start planting trees.
1: Yeah. Well, you're planting a lot of trees and seeds here. I always enjoy our conversations. I hope you'll hang Same. on with me for a few more minutes for our flock. But before you leave, can you just tell the Our henhouse House listeners like, about your new album and how they can follow you online and support your efforts, uh, become sure. a Patreon, and uh, learn more about the world of Mike Kaplan? Thank
2: you. I'm, hap- I'm happy to talk more about myself. Um... <laughs> So, Mike Kaplan is spelled M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N. If you search for that on any social media, you will get jokes on Twitter and Facebook and some posts on Instagram and put it in anywhere. I am a stand-up comedian. I have many albums, including my most recent one, which I am the happiest with and most proud of, though I do love all of them, Back. Ah, uh, from vegan mind meld. Though I was a baby comedian then, so uh, know that some things on it I might not say now. But uh, but I do like. There's a lot of wonderful. There's a lot of great vegan material on all of my albums. But the most recent one is called AKA, and it's all about love and kindness and not murdering. And there's at least a track or two of uh, some uh, hardcore vegan goodness in there. And then I do have two podcasts myself, one that you were on, Jasmine, of course, called Broccoli and Ice Cream. Ice cream, of course, metaphorical or cashew-based, etc. No actual ice cream harmed in the making of the podcast, but I talk to people (laughs) about the works and joys of their life. Uh, One episode comes out free each week, at least, and then one is available on my Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash mycabin. And then just uh, my other podcast is called The Faucet, where I don't have guests. I just talk myself, stream of consciousness, turn on The Faucet. And that comes out at least once a week as well for free. And uh, the only other thing, oh yeah, I just started doing, releasing a weekly newsletter that is full of jokes and other joke-like things that I call Art Nuggets, uh, and that's at mikekaplan.substack.com. You can get a free one every week, and or uh, if you subscribe or superscribe, as I call it, you get almost daily, uh, I'll send out a couple jokes, word things, fun thoughts, poems. I really enjoy doing it, and uh, if you want to get, so there's there's a lot of me to take in. If you were only gonna do one thing, I'd say listen to the album, AKA, but also I'd say do everything. (laughs) Perfect.
1: All right. Stay on the line with us. But Mike, thank you so much for joining us on our headhouse. I love the opportunity to take your brain a little bit. And I look forward to continuing this dialogue. Always. Greetings, everybody. This is Jasmine Singer. And I wanted to make sure you knew about my new book, The Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan. Look good, feel good, and do good in 30 days. Want to be fabulous? go vegan. Maybe you're interested in it for the food, maybe it's the animals, or maybe climate change has got you thinking. Whatever your reason, maybe you don't quite know where to start. After all, doesn't going vegan mean you have to give up tasty snacks and cool shoes and a sense of humor and your leather couch? Nope, nope, no way, and well, Eventually. Covering everything from nutrition, you will get enough protein, promise. To dating, vegans have better sex, it's true. To fitness, you wanna lift a car over your head, sure. I am joining with the team at Veg News to bust all the myths and giving you all the facts about a plant based lifestyle. With 30 easy recipes to get you started, the Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan will help you adopt a vegan lifestyle that's better for you, the animals, and the planet. And what's more fabulous than that? Get your copy today wherever books are sold, or go to jasmine.singer.com/fabulous. Remember, there's no e on jasmine. It's j-a-s-m-i-n-s-i-n-g-e-r.com/fabulous. The Veg News Guide to Being a Fabulous Vegan.
0: Anxiety's rising. Our first story is from the AP, the Associated Press. Industry foe charged under Iowa's new food trespassing law. Now, you might be thinking that Iowa just passed an ag law. I guess they're calling them food trespassing laws now, which sounds ridiculous. Sounds like you're walking all over the food. Anyway, uh, but no, this is Iowa's new food <laughs> trespassing law. They've passed them in the past. They've been struck down by the courts. They've gone up on appeal. And while the appeals are pending... They pass a new one, which um, from what I've heard, I I haven't done any analysis. They're pretty much the same as the old ones. So this is an interesting approach, isn't it? Anyway, Matt Johnson, you might be familiar with his work. Uh, He works for DXC and he's been charged with trespassing at a food operation outside an Iowa Select Farm sow operation, to be specific. Investigators, they didn't say who's investigators, say surveillance video captured Johnson approach one of the buildings and try to pull a door to determine if it was locked before running away. Oh my God. And so uh, uh, under the AG-AG law, gag law, this could be an aggravated misdemeanor carrying up to two years in prison and an $8,540 fine. It's a kind of a weird number for a fine. And a uh, second offense, and he has been charged previously, is a felony that carries up to five years behind bars. This is compared to normal trespassing, which carries a penalty of 30 days in jail and $855 fine. And I'm going on and on, but I just feel like I should read this whole article. Uh, He said that he was trying to check on animals, and lawmakers say that they've increased these penalties to protect farmers from harassment. And this is my favorite line in the article. Bill sponsor and Republican state senator Ken Rosenboom said Johnson and other activists have trespassed at his hog facilities four times. Well, there's an even-handed, neutral legislator. His hog facilities... All right. Every time he and his henchmen do that, says Rosenboom, they violate biosecurity protocols. Johnson and other activists from DXC say they don't violate, they take better biosecurity protocols than uh, the industry does. We're going to have to wait and see what happens. The last time he was arrested was apparently when um, he documented company workers using heat and steam to kill thousands of hogs in what he called a barbaric practice. What he called a, you can't. The newspaper can't even call that a barbaric practice like that kind of defines what a barbaric practice is. And that was when they were trying to kill all the pigs uh, by shutting down the ventilation um, because they had too many of them during covid. And uh, even though Iowa Select did stop using that practice shortly after the expose, they still contend it was fine. Actually, uh, I'm sorry, I said those were the other charges he was that were pending, but those charges were actually dropped. Because the company said it did not want to testify at trial. Oh, my God. He's also, Matt Johnson is also the guy who posed as the CEO of Smithfield Foods on Fox Business, which was hilarious. And, you know, he says he's going to use this charge to challenge the constitutionally of, constitutionality of the, of the latest law, while the other ones are, are all pending on appeal. Uh, so he's a brave guy. He's putting a lot at risk. And the industry just does not know what to do with him, does it? Other than charge him with, with ridiculous crimes. Uh, I just hope they don't get away with this. I just really hope they don't. Blue Peter call on kids to go meat-free as part of Green Pledge. All right, Blue, this is from Across the Pond from the UK. Blue Peter is apparently a children's show with a character uh, known as Blue Peter. And they give out badges for, um, for kids doing good things. And, and so... They put out this pledge to to do environmentally friendly things, like for kids, um, like turning off lights, drinking from reusable bottles, and choosing a vegetarian option for a meal. They can get a uh, badge for that. That's <laughs> this article starts up, but the meat free move prompted backlash. With one farmer left, quote disappointed. They're just this is just ridiculous. <laughs> They're so upset because children don't know anything about this, and this is giving children bad information. Um, one said, I'm very disappointed as a farmer and a father as well. They are saying don't eat meat, which is just a sweeping statement. So what he suggests is that is that children should learn about food production, like the fact that there's a lot of grass and grass can be produced easily and you can't grow crops. So that land will produce top quality proteins, which are beef and lamb, you know, it's always best to leave the actual animals out of it. Well, have they not heard about the fact that animals who are grazed produce enormous amounts of methane, which is a hugely harmful climate change guess? I mean, like, what what true information do you want these kids to have? But he wants them to show them facts and give them the opportunity to, sh- to um, make up their own minds. They need to hear about seasonal food, locally produced food, environmentally fru- friendly food, regenerative agriculture. Yeah, these are little kids. <laughs> Maybe you need to make it a little simpler for them. Like stop eating meat. Sounds like a great idea. They got a lot of pushback about this. A lot of pushback. This is my, um, my favorite. This is from Countess Bathurst. They have countesses in the UK. I find this very worrying. Turning electrical appliances off? Absolutely. Using less plastic? Brilliant idea. But pushing food choices onto children will only cause family and personal conflict. It's way too far. I think um, uh, the Countess uh, eats meat herself. I would kind of bet on it. So they are responding. the, The BBC and others are responding in a totally nervous Nelly kind of way. And they're going to make clear on the show and on their website which has now been updated to reflect that buying seasonal food or local grass-fed meat can also make a difference to climate change. Yeah, local grass-fed meat can make climate change worse. That's the difference it can make. That was me, not the, U- the BBC. And next week, presenter Richie Driss will be visiting a family of Welsh farmers to discuss how they rear livestock sustainably. So their anxieties rose and, you know, everybody said, oh, sorry, sorry, we're sorry. Oh, very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. And our final story this week is a letter that was um, written to The Guardian in response to uh, an article about the fact that fish can feel pain. And this is from, this letter was written, I think, by a fish scientist, probably. Yes, emeritus professor of zoology at the University of Bristol. And I'm not going to read this in, in in my pathetic attempt at a English accent, even though I'm so tempted to, but I'm not going to. Your article states that fish, quote, contrary to previously common beliefs, feel pain, unquote. This is misleading. And he goes on to say that for survival, all animals have to be able to detect and escape from things that might harm them. And so they have sensory systems. And pain is, is a conscious sensation experienced by humans. <laughs> and we know other humans feel pain because we can communicate with each other. We can only guess that other mammals, birds, and possibly also reptiles with large complex brains like ours will also experience pain. So apparently the only way you can know anything about whether somebody's experiencing pain is if they tell you. And even that, it seems to me, could be dicey when it comes to humans because humans lie all the time. But anyway, apparently the only way we we, we can guess, we can guess, you know, we don't want to go too far. But fish... Well, we can't even guess there, apparently, because the idea that they should feel pain are only based on experiments that show they detect and learn about noxious stimuli, so they know the the pain, what would presumably be pain-causing things, are are there. I think that's what he's saying. Um, Many also show a release of hormones, which raise alertness and help an escape. But showing that they detect and have a hormonal response to noxious stimuli does not mean they are conscious and feel pain. Well, you know, like, let's make the bar impossible to ever scale. <laughs> like, like, what? Like, yeah, we can kind of not know ever know anything, so let's not ever do anything. He does go on to say, which, you know, after he's completely undermined the argument, however, we should still campaign for improved welfare conditions for all seafood animals. They're not seafood animals. They're sea animals. Anyway. Why should we do that, Alan? Uh, you know, uh, this is... I. I since we can't be sure, why should we do that? Like, you've just undermined all of the arguments, said, because we we just can't be certain. We can't be absolutely certain. Well, I can't be absolutely certain that you can feel pain, Alan. So um, why would we campaign since you've just undermined all of the arguments or done your best to? Oh, these poor fish, these poor fish. Why did they have to get stuck on this planet with us? And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties.
1: Well, that's it for this week's show. As always, if you like the podcast and if you're able, you can support us by joining the flock at ourhenhouse.org slash donate for $10 a month or $100 a year, or you can make whatever donation you're comfortable with.
0: Another great way to support us is to leave a fabulous review wherever you listen to podcasts or on Apple Podcasts, or you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Our Hen House. If you shop on Amazon, you can use Amazon Smile using Our henhouse as your favorite charity. And of course, Tell your friends about us.
1: If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. I'm Jasmine Singer. Thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan. That's me. And to Jen Riley for her work in producing this podcast and to composer Michael Herron for the music. Thanks to Jocelyn Martinez for her work doing research and for Eric Montgomery of Podcast Haven for his work editing. Thanks to Lori Johnston of Two Trick Pony for her graphic
0: design services. We will be back next week with a brand new show, so don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are a Flock member, remember to check your email or the Flock Facebook page on Tuesday for your bonus content. Thanks
1: so much for tuning in and for changing the world for animals.